I, I have four kids, not alone, my wife played some role in that. Um, we have four kids. Cooper will be seven here in just a couple of weeks, about three more weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. He thinks he's 17. Uh, Branson is four. Tucker is two. So we got the three boys. And then God graced us with a little girl in July, uh, July the 8th on my birthday. And uh, so we have four little kids, and they are all completely different. I mean, I, I struggle to find similarities in their personalities. And Branson, who's our second child, he, uh, until we had this, this little girl, uh, he was the middle child, very much the peacemaker. He can be wild and crazy, but he's also very, very timid and shy. And at our Marietta campus this summer, uh, for July the 4th, we had some uh, guests come in for a production, and uh, we had the Georgia Symphony Orchestra, and they always... Uh, as a part of their presentation, they always have a guest conductor during one of their songs. And Branson loves music, and he loves getting into things anyway. And so he had always kind of gone up to our assistant worship director there, Scott Bennett, and kind of taken his baton if he showed up early for church and playing with it. I think he was making it a sword, but whatever. I mean, it was something. So they asked Branson, four years old, to be the guest conductor for the Georgia Symphony Orchestra. I've got a little clip here. This is just shot from my iPhone. Can we play just a little clip of that? It would be great if... That stopped when you got like into high school or college. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are still those tendencies, even as we age, and we're afraid that when we do something really bad, everybody's going to know. We're afraid when we do something really good, we're not afraid, but when we do something really good, we want people to kind of give us accolades and, and clap and tell us what a good job we did because we believe that our lives are kind of front and center and everyone else should be focused on the things that we are doing when in reality, everybody else is kind of doing their own thing as well, and it's not that we're at center stage. Everybody's kind of at their own center stage, and they're kind of ignoring everything going on around them. So here's what that would look like. I'm going to draw, and just bear with me. I am not an artist. I have said for a long time, my stick people look like I have eating disorders because I cannot draw, okay? So this is what this would look like in culture. Hopefully you can see this. This is me. I'm very, very skinny. Um, So here's me, and culture and society would tell me that everything in my life revolves around me, okay? So here's what that looks like. When I was growing up, I had parents, okay? So here's my mom and dad, and they're here, and they exist to serve me, okay? That's what what culture would tell us, because if this relationship is working right, as a teenager especially, as long as the money is flowing my direction, we are good to go. Right? When the yeses are more common than the noes, like, can I go there? Yes, we're fine. When we start getting a lot of noes, it's like, this relationship doesn't work for me anymore. Can I get some new parents, right? But this doesn't go away as we get older. We still have parents, obviously, but the family dynamics change. Now we have in-laws, right? And now we have extended family. We have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles that maybe we've had, but these relationships change, and the culture and society would tell us that this works as long as our needs are being met. And when they are not, we start to see family strife, we start to see fighting, and we start to see people skipping family vacations, right? This is what happens here, all right? Then we have these romantic relationships, and so this is, you know, some love interest of mine. I won't say it's my wife because obviously now we are. But th- when I was younger, maybe we had this love interest. And so there's, you know, hearts and cupids flying here as I'm younger and all these things. And, and this relationship works for me as long as it's meeting my needs, my desires, everything that I need. As long as it's being served, this relationship works, right? Even in marriage now, if I'm not careful, I tend to slip into this mindset, That as long as my needs are being met, then this marriage works for me. 
And I don't consider the other person, right? And I'm not just talking about the physical parts of a marriage or a relationship. I'm talking about every aspect of a relationship. As long as I'm being served, it works. When those things stop happening, it's like I'm out. That's why we see such a huge rise in the number of divorces, and we see relationships that just on a whim are ended because it's based on how are my needs being met. So we have a job, and the job is there to fund our lives. That's the only reason it's there for most of us. We just, we just go to work so that we can get money, and this is money, I'm not sure why, but we get money, and it's coming our way, and it's serving our needs, and as long as that's happening, life's good, Right? But if we ask off for next Thursday afternoon to go to our kid's ball game and the boss says, no, this doesn't work for me anymore. I'm going to look for a new job. Or if I wanted a promotion and I don't get it, this doesn't work for me anymore. Or I need to start looking. So, and and are, are there legitimate reasons for family strife and relationships to end and for job change? Absolutely there are. But if it's purely based on how this is serving my needs and my desires, that's when we get in trouble, right? Now let's take this to a, uh-oh, this hurts me kind of mentality here, all right? These things are, are fine to some degree. When we take it to the church, okay, that's a cross. We take it to the church, we take these same ideas and mentalities here, and as long as the church is serving me, I'm fine, we start to get into a little bit of sticky theological ground, in my opinion. Because what we see here is we say, well, as long as the church is meeting my needs, I'm fine. If the music's my style, if, if I'm being fed which is, makes me want to throw up every time I hear that. When I'm, if I'm being fed, then this works. If I'm not, I'm going somewhere else. Now, are there legitimate reasons for relationships to, be in, to end or to change? Are there reasons to change churches? Absolutely. But if it's purely based on my needs and me consuming and not being pleased with the product anymore, and I'm out, then this, I believe, is completely an error. And here's why. Because what that does is that then takes Jesus Christ on the cross, crown of thorns here, great art, It takes Jesus Christ and it places him in a position where through his church or otherwise, he only exists to serve my needs. And and I don't know about you, but as I started thinking through this, as I started preparing this, and we're actually going to open the Bible in a minute and talk about this, but as we're setting this up and we're looking, I saw a lot of different stages in my life where my relationship with God looked a lot like this. And I'm just praying to God, meet my needs, do something for me, help me on the math test, help me in my job, give me a little more money, whatever. And this is the extent of my relationship with God. And when that doesn't work anymore, I don't get my way. Something doesn't go like I wanted it to. My prayers don't get answered the way I want them to. Man, I am out of this relationship. And if we're not careful, society and culture will lead us to believe that this is what life should look like. That I'm at the center of the universe and everything that goes on around me revolves around me and should serve and support me and the things that I want to accomplish. And that's not really the way that it's supposed to work. Got your Bibles, flip to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at a guy that is a pretty famous Bible character. His name is John the Baptist. John, uh, you see him in the early parts of several of the Gospels. He comes proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He is... Um, kind of the, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And we see that, um, <coughs> excuse me, he's actually related to Jesus. Their, their mothers uh, are, are related. And so he is connected to the story of Christ very, very early in this process. He is out in the wilderness. He's teaching. He's baptizing people in water. And Jesus actually presents himself to be baptized by John uh, in, in several of the early gospel accounts. 
And then at, in Luke chapter 3, we see that John had been teaching and preaching, and as a part of that, kind of spoke some things against Herod, and we see some other things that happened where Herod got a little um, concerned, and so he had him arrested. And we don't hear from John for a while, several chapters, depending on which account you're reading. But here in Matthew, we don't, we don't hear from him for several chapters. And then we come to Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, and I think this is going to be up on the screens. But Matthew chapter 11, this is what it says. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Let's stop right here for just a second. What is John really asking him? Because he's not really asking, are you the one to come, or should we wait for another? That's not really the question he's asking, because John already knew that he was the one to come. We talked about their mothers being related, and when Elizabeth, John's mother, hears that Mary is carrying the Lord, the the Son of God, John leaps in her belly. In Luke, uh, in Luke 3, we see that he's preaching and teaching and talking about he baptizes in water, but Jesus is to come who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, we have the account where John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus in water, and the heavens opened up, and a voice came down from heaven and cried out and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And John is right there. So John knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows that he's the one that he claims to be. So what is it that John is really asking here? Well, I think John shows that he has a lot in common with me because if you remember, John's in prison. And so what John is asking is not, are you the one? John is asking, are you coming to get me out of jail? Because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus refers to a prophecy from the book of Isaiah where it says that I am here, talking about Jesus, I am here to set the captives free, to, to free the prisoners. And so what John is asking in this instance is, are you, truth, are you living out what has been foretold about you? Are you here to set the captives free? All right, so what has John done? John has placed himself here in the center of the story in this moment, and I don't fault him for this. This is just human emotion, human doubt. I don't know how long he's been in prison at this point, but he's just in jail, okay? So we'll draw jail bars here. He's in jail, and he's thinking, okay, here's Jesus, and he says that he's here to set the prisoners free, so is he coming to get me? Right Now, there again, you can't really fault him because as a first century Jew, the Jews felt like that that Christ was there to do something a little different than maybe you and I understand it. Because you and I might look at it and go, okay, yeah, Jesus was there to set up this eternal kingdom for his father. And we've got the new heaven and the new earth and all those things. But in first century Judaism, what you have here is you have something completely different that's related to kind of the story, the history of the people of God. What you have is you have that God created the heavens and the earth. He created man and woman, and he said it was good, and he placed them in a position of paradise. He placed them in the garden there, and he says, hey, you can have everything here except that tree in the middle. And I don't know how it went, but if it's me, if it's how it mimics my life, I'm walking around the periphery of the garden. I'm looking at these amazing trees and all the things that are there. I'm not even worried about the center. I've got all this other stuff to explore. And then one random afternoon, I might just you know, be doing something, picking a banana off of a tree, if they grow on trees, I don't know, they're picking bananas, and, and then just bump into a tree and go, oh, no, that's, I'm not, I'm not supposed to touch that, so I'm back over here, but now that I know it's there, man, I am struggling not to focus on the fact that it's right there. And so Eve finds her way over there, at some point, she gets talked into this thing by the snake, and then she does what any woman does and misleads a man, right? And so she brings Adam into this whole equation, Wow, that, that hurts. I know, it hurts. I actually practiced that. Um, so, 
So Adam comes in, and then Adam falls because he partakes of something that God has commanded them not to. And now they are both completely sinning against God. And so now what you have with that one act is that you have that all of humanity is now, it exists in a broken and fallen world where sin and hurt and pain and death exist. And so you have them removed from the garden, and you have this kind of narrative that works its way through the Old Testament. You have them moving forward. Their family continues to grow, and God eventually finds a man named Noah who's righteous in a world of unrighteous people. And he takes Noah and his family and the animals, puts them on the ark, sends a flood, and kind of allows Noah to kind of restart the whole idea. Then God calls Abram to go into a new land, and he promises him. And this is the man who would later be called Abraham. He says, hey, I'm giving you a, a, new, a, a new land, but I'm giving you a, a covenant here of, of a people group, of a family, of descendants that are more uh, outnumber the stars in the sky. And there's a covenant now that exists where God is attempting to restore humanity through this, this group of people that he's called. And Joseph later is uh, raised to a position of power through this unbelievable narrative of his life, and he ends up working for Pharaoh, and he's now the second most powerful man really in the known world at that point. During a time of famine, he has access to all the food, and his family comes to Egypt to get food from him, and he brings them there to live in that place. And then the Bible says that there came a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph or what he had done for the previous Pharaoh. And so he sees that Joseph's family has, has started multiplying and now they're beginning to outnumber the Egyptians. And so he puts all of those people under slavery. Then we see the story of Moses who comes and is used by God to set my people free. And he stands before Pharaoh and these mighty acts of God are done to release those people. And they walk across on dry land and then the waters swallow up their enemies and they go out and towards the promised land that God had told Abram about. And all of this is the story, this narrative of God redeeming and reconciling his people back to covenant relationship with him. We see that Moses is removed from power and Joshua's put in place of power and they go into the promised land and then we see the narrative there as they inhabit the land and the kingdom is established and we see the kingdom of David and, and then of Solomon. We see the kingdom split and we see that the, the two kingdoms are eventually captured by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and we have this exile of the people that are, that are, that are called, they're pulled away from their land. And then we see that the king there allows the people to go back home. And Nehemiah begins to rebuild the wall. And we see these incredible things that are happening there through these next, this, the latter part of the Old Testament. And then Jesus Christ shows up at the beginning of the New Testament. And if you are a Jew in that day understanding all of that story, you are not looking for someone who's coming to establish an eternal kingdom in heaven or somewhere on earth at some later point. You are looking for the Messiah who is coming to reestablish the nation of Israel, the people of God, to sit on the throne of David and overthrow those who are over you, the Romans, and, and to take over who you are as a people. So John is in prison understanding that Jesus needs an army if he's going to overthrow the powers that be. And he's saying, hey, are you coming to get me? Are you coming to get me? Are you going to raise up this army? Are you going to establish this nation? Are you going to do the work? And, and, and Jesus, I'm, I'm going to look at his answer here in just a second, because Jesus does not answer John in the way that John wants him to answer him. So John's in this place, and Jesus says, hey, this is not how the drawing actually Looks. Let's read this Matthew chapter 11 again, beginning in verse 11 and reading just two, two scriptures here. It says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. He's talking to John's disciples who are going to take this message back to, Jesus, back to John. 
Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know what Jesus is answering him right now? You are not the center of the universe, John. And when some of you hear that right now, you think, man, that is really harsh. That's really mean of Jesus. But Jesus, through his answer here, is drawing a new picture, okay? So here's what this picture looks like. Again, please don't think this is like sacrilegious. Here's Jesus, okay? Crown of thorns. There you go. Or curly hair. All right, so this is Jesus at the center of the universe. And here's John over here in prison, okay? And here's what, here's what John wants to do. John wants him to say, okay, I'm the center of the universe. You're one of the things revolving around me. Come and serve me. And here's what Jesus answers. He says, listen, no, yeah, you're over here. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard, that the, the deaf who couldn't hear can hear now, right? Great drawing. And the, the blinded eyes, they're open now, right? The poor and the lame, they are now hearing the good news of the gospel they're being ministered to. Here, here's what Jesus is saying to John. You are not the center of the universe. I am the center of this story, and I am healing the brokenness of the world. I'm reconciling all things back to my Father. And man, sometimes when you're in a life situation, I just dropped my marker, when you're in a life situation, you think it's all about you and you are concerned by that. And, and here's the promise to you. God is also concerned about your situation. He is. I'll tell it to you this way. When uh, April of, or I guess March maybe, April of, of 09, my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. She was very young, had not been sick at all. She had some stomach pain. They took her to the hospital and eventually through a bunch of tests found out she had colon cancer. And here is what I've discovered as I reevaluate my prayers during the 22 months that she struggled with that disease. She eventually passed away this past March, 2011. Here's what I discovered about me. Okay, so if nobody gets anything out of this today, this is for me. As I prayed to a God that I genuinely believe, even to this day, as I pray to a God that's a healer, and I know that and I believe that, I was not praying to a God at the center of the universe. I was praying to a God that was revolving around me at the center of the universe, and my mom at the center of the universe. And I was saying, hey, can you serve our need here? Can you fix this issue? Can you do this thing to fix this for us? And, and, and maybe, maybe you've never done that, but I did. As I evaluate now my prayers, I was praying, and I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that you should ask God and petition God. Scripture calls us to that. But in my prayers, I was praying, I believe, totally out of the wrong motivation, and, and I was praying the wrong way to me, for me personally. Because my foundation of prayer was with me at the center. It was this drawing down here. And so what I believe that... that, that the answer that Christ gives here is, hey, listen, yes, you're over here, and I'm concerned about that, but I'm also redeeming and healing brokenness. And here, you know what I've realized even this week as I've been studying for this message? That during the 22 months that my mom struggled with cancer, I, I didn't get the answer to the prayer that I was hoping for in her life, but during that 22 months, I have heard testimonies of people that were healed of cancer during that time. There were people that were saved 
There were people who, who, who experienced the miraculous moves of God during that time. And so it may not have been that I got my need met the way that I wanted it to happen, but that God was still at work in the world redeeming the brokenness, reconciling those things back to himself, healing the sick. I believe that's what we see if we can change our perspective from us as the center and everything revolving around us to God and Christ at the center of everything that we have because God was at work during those 22 months. It's not like he had gone silent. He was at work. He just didn't come get me out of jail. He just didn't come and fulfill the thing that I needed him to do in that moment. And I know that's a little difficult for some of us. I know that some of us struggle with that idea. And the reason, if I can just be honest for a second, the reason that some people walk away from the faith is because they are never willing to give up their place at the center of the universe. The reason that sometimes we talk about students in 20s and 30s in college and even people in their adult lives that really struggle with a relationship with Jesus Christ is because they are never willing to allow him his rightful place at the center of it all. And as soon as they at the center don't get their needs met by a relationship with Jesus Christ, they walk away And they say, you didn't meet my needs, you didn't fulfill my desires, you didn't do what I needed you to do, and I'm out. This is his rightful place. This is the place that he belongs here. And so you have have an opportunity tomorrow when you wake up. Tomorrow when you get up in your house, whatever time that is, you have a chance in that moment to decide. Who gets to be the center of my universe today? Because once you decide that, it changes the way that you interact with everything else that happens throughout the day. Doesn't mean you don't get frustrated. Doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean that that traffic won't still be awful on 575. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that as a foundational issue, you have a chance to set your day up. So that every relationship around you, back to the earlier drawing, every relationship I have, my family, my marriage, my dating relationship, my friends, my job, everything that you have does not exist if you choose this idea here. It does not exist to serve you. It is something that is happening where God is attempting to reconcile brokenness. Think about your family right now. Who do you have in your family that has deep hurts and pains. And yes, they annoy you and they hurt you. But guess what? Hurt people hurt people. Yeah? Someone that's been hurt usually starts hurting others. So what is it that causes them to lash out towards you? What is it that's hurting and broken inside of them that God may be needing to work on inside of them? And guess what? What if he wants to use you? to administer his grace to them? What if the drawing doesn't even look like this in the way that you even live tomorrow? What if it's Jesus at the center? And what if here is your family? My drawings are getting worse. And what if this is your marriage? And what if this is your job? And what if this is your church? And what if this is Jesus, your relationship over here? All right, what if God used you? to minister there? What if God used you to serve your marriage? What if God used you on your job? Because guess what? God's on a mission. 
God's on a mission that's bigger than me and you. It's a mission to restore and reconcile brokenness in the world. It's, it's, a, it's a mission that's about the people that you work with. It's a mission about the people that live in your homes and are extended family members of you. And God is on a mission to redeem and reconcile the brokenness in their lives. And what if he chose to use you to make it happen? He doesn't have to. He can go right around you and do the same work. But there's this amazing thing about God that he chooses many times to use us. Maybe you've seen it in the miraculous ways where someone is sick and a preacher or a pastor or someone that just goes to pray for them lays their hands on them and and prays a prayer and they are healed. Guess what? God did the work, but he worked through a human hand, a human being that made themselves available. That's the story of Moses. Moses stands in front of a burning bush and says, I stutter. I can't go stand before Pharaoh. I don't, I don't, I don't talk so good. And Jesus says, God says through that burning bush, listen, I don't need your ability. I need your availability. If you'll go, if you'll just stand there for me and be my presence, I will work through you. Justin, come on. Here's the idea today. You have a choice when you get up tomorrow to choose who will be at the center of your universe. You know what I hope happens when you wake up tomorrow? You think about the amazing art that I've drawn this morning. You just think, man, those stick figures, that's me. You have a choice. Who's at the center of your universe? But listen to me, it's not just as simple as saying, God, you're at the center of my universe. Now you are committing to be about his mission. Now you're committing, if you say that, to be about his work in the world. And I want you to look at this really, really cool thing, the last part of this scripture. This is, this is verse 11. I, I, I misspoke a minute ago. Verse 11 in Matthew chapter 11. This is this really cool thing about God. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's continuing to talk from earlier when we were talking there. Truly I say to you, Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. Here's what this looks like for me. And I hope I haven't pulled too much from Scripture. I really believe that this is is what's being said here. Here's what I believe this looks like. If you make it about you... It's never about Jesus. If you make you the center of your universe, it is never about Jesus, ever. But if you make it about Jesus, he tends to make it about you sometimes. I want you to hear that again. If you make it about you, it's never about Jesus. But if you make it about Jesus, somehow he tends to make it about you. He needed to feed 5,000 people, and what did he do? He pulled in a little boy with some lunch. He could have created food out of the air. But now he said, hey, what what do we have here? So that's my challenge. What mission are you going to be a part of in life? Your mission, where everything serves you? Because let me just tell you, you're going to get tired of that pretty quickly because you're going to get let down a lot. Or are you going to choose to allow the mission of God 
to redeem and reconcile the brokenness of the world, to be at the center of everything that you are and find a way to be a part of what he's doing in the world. What does that look like for us as a church? Well, that looks like, man, you should be a minister to your family. God wants to do a work in your family. You should minister there. You should be a minister in your marriage. You should be a minister on your job. But we're, we're a new church here in this community. We're a campus of an existing church from another community 20 miles down the road. We're a new church here in this community. Here's what that looks like for us. And I want to say this. I, I have prayed about this, thought about this, bounced this off people I trust. I, I want to say this with as much boldness and humility as possible, if that even works. If you are coming to church here or contemplating it, because it serves your need at the center of your universe and you're coming here to consume something that you like better than something you consume somewhere else. Please don't do that. We do not want to create a church that is just existing to cater to personal preference. This may not be the place for you if that's it. If you're in a sincere journey of trying to connect to God in real and tangible ways and you just you think this may be the place, then you are welcome here. Here's what that looks like practically. Maybe this campus is closer than the Marietta campus if you're a part of the Mount Perrin North family. If you are at the center of your universe, you know what that looks like? That looks like you coming here because it's closer. But if God is at the center of your universe, it looks like this. You know what? This campus is closer. That probably allows me the opportunity to serve more than I can serve there. It probably allows me the opportunity to bring friends and family and neighbors in this community where I live that may not make the drive 20 minutes away. That's what that looks like practically. Does the universe revolve around you? Does it revolve around God? Because if you make it about you, it is never about Jesus. But if you make it about Jesus, he tends to make it about you too. He tends to show up in ways you never thought. He tends to use you in ways that you never knew you could be used. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second.